You know that we've been in the book of Acts, right? And uh, if, there is, if there's a dramatic conversion or coming to Christ uh, that was dramatic and memorable, I don't know which one can top what happened to Paul, right? Paul is coming like a you-know-what out of you-know-where. And he's on a rampage. And he's coming to Damascus, getting ready to arrest Christians that are there, to take them to prison, drag them back for trial to Jerusalem. And while he's on the road and he's going there, all of a sudden, what happens? A bright light that was brighter than the sun. And it was the person of Jesus, because he knows this bright light flashed and he hit the ground. It was so bright and powerful. Didn't hurt him, but he knew someone was there. And that voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul had the, the, the sense to say, who are you, Lord? Because he knew there was somebody there and he knew he needed to know who this person was. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And at that point, I don't know, man. You've got to be careful. You don't have stuff in your shorts at that point. Realizing you've been on a hunt to take down these Christians who are followers of this Jesus, and this Jesus just met you, and he's living. And you're wondering what's next. What is next? And he said to him, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, Paul. Saul, right? It's either Saul or Paul. That's his Hebrew name. That's Greek or Roman name was, was Paul. And he says, now Saul, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I'm thinking at that point, Saul's like going, that that's my instruction. Because I know I probably deserved death, but I've been told to get up and go. And so what does Saul do? He gets up off the ground and he finds out he's blind. He can't see. And so his friends have to lead him into the city. And they lead him into the city, and Saul begins, he was blind for three days, and he didn't eat anything. And he is repenting, and he is soul-searching, and he is asking himself some deep, dark questions at this point. But he begins to pray. And then the Lord, what does the Lord do next? He begins to speak to both Saul and Ananias. And he tells Saul, there's a guy... Ananias, yeah, he's going to come to your house and he's going to lay hands on you. And you're going to receive your sight and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this guy is coming. So then God at the same time goes and tells Ananias, hey Ananias, I want you to go to this guy Saul. He's praying. I just told him you're coming. So let's go. Let's go and you're going to lay hands on him and you're going to heal him of his blindness and he's going to receive the Holy Spirit. And Ananias goes, "Eh, hold on a second here. I know who this is. This guy is arresting Christians. This guy is vicious. He's violent. He's angry. He has letters and official ability to arrest and incarcerate us and take everything we have. I don't think so, God. You got this wrong? Well, the Lord said, hold on a second. I told you, go. I do know who I'm talking about, and I'm speaking to both of you. Go, because you must go and lay your hands on him, and he will learn how much he must suffer for my name. You go play your role. So Ananias goes, 
Ananias announces, I'm the man. Here I am. Paul goes, well, that's who I thought was coming. Lays hand on him. He received his sight. He's filled with the Spirit. He said, hey, let's get baptized in the name of Jesus, which meant he publicly was announcing, I'm going to be a follower, just like these people I was hunting down. And he was baptized in the name of Christ, took some food, and his life began. Wow! Could you imagine? Was that how some of you came to know Jesus? Did the Lord hit you with light? Did the Lord give you a vision? No, I would guess that most of us, it was not that dramatic. But with Paul, or Saul, it was that dramatic. And don't you feel like after a conversion experience like that, man, this guy's ready. This guy's ready to rock and roll now. He is healed. He is right with the Lord. He is saved. He is forgiven. He is at rest with Jesus now. Boy, it's over. Let me tell you something. If you were to think that, you would be wrong. Because it just began, didn't it? There's a scripture that we find, in, um, and it's, it'll be up on the board, and, and it's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I want you to know something that it's important to know, that there's really kind of two stages in coming to Christ, isn't there? And following him as a disciple. The first stage is this, and Jesus announced this. He said to his disciples and those around him, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the first thing we do. And then the second thing, take my yoke upon you. Right? A yoke, big wooden, you saw it on the cows there, big wooden piece that fits over the necks of two. And Jesus says, I've got room for one more. Jump on if you're going to be my follower. And you're going to walk right next to me. You're going to walk the path I have for you to walk, and I'm going to walk right with you. And we're going to go this path, and this path is going to save you. This path is going to cause you to be able to fulfill your calling. This path is going to transform you into my image. But you're going to have to walk with me for a while. So my yoke includes not just my yoke, because it's your yoke, but it's also all of Jesus' teachings, all of, of his example. That's considered his yoke as well. And the disciple walks in that, and it goes on. He goes, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you've come to me, if you have come to me, if you have taken on my yoke, you're going to discover that it is. But if you come to me and you keep throwing off my yoke and you won't accept my yoke, guess what? The burden won't be easy and the burden will not be light for you. And he understands that and so he's given us a straight scoop. He wants us to live a life of soul rest and a life that's worthy of the calling that we have been given. So we got to be mindful of these two movements. One is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And a lot of us have done that. Jesus said, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get everything right. You don't have to um, take a shower first before you come to me. You don't have to go and, and, and tell everybody your sins yet before you come. You can come. Just come as you are. Come. And as you come, 
I'm going to give you rest. And you can find peace and forgiveness in me. And so we do. But then he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. See, millions of people have come to Christ. But many more do what? They struggle. They struggle with taking Christ's yoke. And we sometimes don't understand that's where our struggle lies. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. But is that all we're supposed to intellectually just believe? That Jesus is the Son of God? And that's it? No. Because we don't find rest for our souls that way. And we don't find his burden is easy and his load is light, and we do not fulfill the calling of our lives if we don't take upon his yoke. That's how we learn to be a Christian. That's how we learn to, to be like Christ. That's how we begin to follow his leadership and begin to incorporate his word and his values and his lordship in our lives. That's how we discover how to live a real soul rest life that's worthy of his calling. It's taking that yoke. So Paul had to learn that, didn't he? He had to learn that. He didn't just suddenly begin to live the Christian life, and we sometimes think that's how it happens, that when a person has a powerful experience, all of a sudden everything is great. I had a powerful trans, uh, transformation experience, almost that people thought I was a brand new student at my school when I came there my sophomore year. They, they thought I just moved there, because they couldn't recognize me. Because my attitude, my demeanor, the way I responded and acted was so different because Jesus had changed me. But I'm still here to tell you something. I had a whole lot of learning to do about how to fulfill my calling and walk with Jesus and really find rest for my soul. So I understand that, and, and I want you to understand that it's okay if you've been struggling. But hopefully today we can do some things that will help you not to struggle. Some things to help you understand where rest really lies and where blessing really lies. So I want you, if you've got a Bible, we're going to read the next part. We're going to read how Paul began to take on the yoke of Christ in chapter 9. We're going to move to verses 19 through 31. Saul's saved. Now he's going to begin to walk with the Lord. But we're going to find there were some stumbles. So if you've got a Bible, you can open to chapter 9. We're going to start in verses um, 19 through 21. And this is what verse 19 says. Saul, after he was saved, after he was baptized and took food and was strengthened, it said he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Several days. I don't know what several days means to you. Several days means to me a month. I don't know. It's definitely more than two weeks. Because it seems like you'd call it two weeks if it was that but it was several days. And at once it says that he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once he did that. Jesus is the Son of God. What he's saying there is that Jesus is the Messiah. This long-awaited one. So that means Jesus is Lord. That's what he's telling people. This person I sought to destroy, I was wrong. This person is the Lord, and he's my Lord. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's so important. In fact, it's so important, 
I know I'm going to mess everybody up by this because we won't keep reading, but just tuck this in. It's going to be your first point, okay? Don't get worried. I don't know, maybe Jess is flexible enough to jump back between the two because we're going to keep reading. But the first point that we're going to get to is this. Here it is about taking on Jesus' yoke. It's that we have to accept and communicate that Jesus is Lord. Are you with me? We have to accept and communicate that Jesus is Lord. Notice I didn't say Jesus is Savior. Of course he's came to save us from our sins. He was the Savior. We know that. But what matters is, is that he was the Lord. That's what matters. And that he's your Lord and my Lord. The Bible tells us through Paul in Romans, and write this down, Romans 10, 9 and 10, an important scripture to memorize. Because all throughout all of Paul's writings, he says the same thing. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Savior? No. Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he resurrected, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you declare and, and are, believe, and it's with your heart you declare and you believe, and you're saved. I didn't get Romans 10, 9, and 10 correct completely, but you understand. You can go back and read it. But it says that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. It doesn't say if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Savior. I was first saved. I wore shirts a lot that said Jesus is Lord. I put it across my helmet, you've heard me talk about in a football game, Jesus is Lord. Because we played a school that I had a lot of friends I'd partied with, and they said they were believers, but they, Jesus was not Lord of their life. And they never shared with me that Jesus was Lord or that Jesus was even there. And so I wanted to, to witness to them, Jesus Lord. I had it across my car in the back, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, if you ever pull up to buy a car, and they see that sticker on the back of your car, I guarantee the salesperson is going to be a believer. They're going to say, praise the Lord! Every time. Whether they are a believer or not. I seriously, we had one salesman, he, took, he, he looked, he took a cigarette, he throws it, he goes, well, praise the Lord, brother! <laughs> I went, oh, this is too funny. Too funny. We've got to accept and communicate that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. See, that's what Paul understood. He understood that Jesus was Lord. And he understood all that was applied by that. And he understood that he was going to be a follower. Being a Christian is following this man of Galilee who is Lord of heaven and earth. And that he has all, he's done all things right. And he is Lord of life. And when his Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're able to say Jesus is Lord because even John said no one can say Jesus was, is Lord without the Holy Spirit. We sometimes don't understand that. What they're saying is, for you to truly be able to say, I, Jesus, is my Lord. I have surrendered everything to him. For you to be able to say that and mean it, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No one, people can say, I believe in God, that's easy to say. Oh, I believe he's there. The Bible says, doesn't it, that demons believe so much they tremble. 
But the, Jesus, but the demons will never say, Jesus is Lord. They'll never say that. They'll say he's the Son of God, they'll go that far. But they'll never, and they never accept him as Lord. He is Lord. And when you come to him, you take upon yourself his yoke. You decide, this is my Lord. This is my Lord. He is God. I hope that you did that when you were saved. I hope you, that you, and if you haven't done it, I hope you do it. There is no other person who has the words of eternal life but Jesus. He is the only one raised from the dead, and he is Lord over heaven and hell, and he is Lord today. And if you want to walk with him, if you want to really go to a place of rest as a believer, you have to accept his lordship. And you have to proclaim his lordship to others. And that's what Paul did from the very beginning. He told other people, hold it, I got a whole new Lord now, and it's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord for you today? Your calling, my calling, starts there. Because he's Lord, then from there, some great things happen, don't they? Once he's Lord, he fills you with his spirit and his gifts, and he calls you to a place, because he's Lord. And then from there, you walk in it. You walk in it. Are you perfect at that point? No. Was Paul perfect? No, we gotta keep reading about Paul. So let's keep reading in his word, and let's keep seeing how he changed, amen. It says that he preached right away that Jesus was the Lord, and all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, his na- on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? They were questioning, isn't it? But see, I'm going to tell you something. They're, between their questions in this next verse, there's a time period. And it tells you so. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. Yet Saul grew, see it's over time, more and more powerful. There's a time frame. You have no idea how long that is, do you? Do you know that that time frame that they're talking about is about a year to three years? Theologians understand that because Paul talks about it in in Galatians, and we're going to go to that next, but not yet. And so there's a time period. And it says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful, baffling, the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days, he comes, you know, he's there. After many more days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch over the city gates in order to kill him. Think about that. Your ministry elicits that kind of response from the people you're trying to share it with. They're Hellenistic Jews, they're in the synagogue, and after you preach and you teach them, they want to kill you. Okay? So keep that in mind, and that's what they wanted to do to Paul. But his followers took him by night, and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem then, he tried to join the disciples there, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, thank God, you always need a partner that believes in you. He was a person of encouragement. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. So Barnabas was his advocate, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. 
and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Because Paul was fearless. Paul was passionate. He just wasn't real mature. So Saul stayed with him, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Because if there was one thing Paul was, he was bold. Not mature, but bold. And it goes on. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews that were there in Jerusalem. But guess what? Even those Jews there tried to kill him. It's kind of an interesting response to his ministry, isn't it? They want to murder him everywhere he is. He elicits that kind of response. He's a pretty gruff guy and pretty straightforward guy. And it says that they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Tarsus was his home. They said, you need to go home for a while. There were Jews in Tarsus. There were people that needed to be saved in Tarsus. But they sent Paul or Saul away. You go. And it says, then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Isn't that interesting as a commentary at the end about they sent him home and then the church experienced peace and a time of strength and uh, strengthening. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So you know right away that there's something going on with Paul. And why would Luke put this in for us? And why would he tell us that the church enjoyed peace and it grew? Well, I'm here to tell you something. There's another thing in accomplishing your calling. Just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean that you're finished yet. Amen? You can be saved and come to Jesus and be one of the most immature uh, reckless, careless, unawared individual there could be. You can be as broken as can be, can't you? Because Jesus doesn't say, get it all right first. He says, come to me, and then take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's telling us it's going to be a process. So accept the process, and realize I'm good with it, because I know you better than you know you. So I'm okay with it. You don't have to be perfect all of a sudden. But the reality is you've got to know who's Lord in your life. And you've got to follow. Because if you don't, you're not going to get there. You won't be healed. You won't get right. It won't work. Yeah. To live a life worthy of your calling, as Paul later described in Ephesians, we just read that in our study, that we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And then it says, and be completely humble and gentle. How do you get completely humble? It, it takes time, right? It's a process to be broken, to be honed, to be changed. Paul was not completely humble here. That's why everybody who met him wanted to kill him. Because he tended to have what I would call throw you up aside the wall evangelism techniques. Why aren't you going to accept Jesus, Lord? <coughs> and then should I smack you around a little bit? He was more like that. He was bold, he was strong, he was passionate, but he wasn't mature. The maturity, you can never, look at zeal without knowledge is trouble, isn't it? 
Somebody say amen to that. I had um, Jeff Herringshaw, my buddy, was here for the wedding, his mother. She once said that to me in the first year of my face. She goes, man, Kelly, good job, but just remember this. Zeal without knowledge is, is, is not good. It's terrible. So you gain knowledge and be patient and be humble while you're gaining knowledge. Why did she tell me that? Because I needed it. Because I was zealous and not necessarily wise. And I had to grow in wisdom to be able to have a ministry with people so they didn't want to kill me or, or knock me around. Right? I could do it for Jesus and do it in peace. Well, I want you to read something. It's found in Galatians. Let's get to Galatians, because this kind of maturity doesn't happen overnight. Uh, your second point is really that power to fulfill your calling grows over time, and it really does. And I want you to see this in Paul's life. It says in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, But when God, Paul writes, when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, when he called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he goes, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. I went into the desert. In verse 21 of our chapter 9 in Acts, that's where Paul went. Paul knew the scriptures inside and out. I don't know if you know this, he sat under one of the, the greatest scholars of his time. So he knew the Old Testament inside and out. But he didn't know how Jesus fit there. And he knew immediately he had to get away, and commentators really believed that he went into Arabia with his scripture. He, didn't, he went there to read the scriptures over again, with Jesus as the Messiah, to look for God's plan through this Messiah who had come. And he took his time. Then it says that after he went into Arabia, later I returned to Damascus. And that's where he returned in verse 22, when it says, let me see if I can find this. In verse 22, when it says, here, okay, Am I? Don't you love it when people can't find their place? When he says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is Messiah, that's when he came back to Damascus. He, after his time in Arabia, he came back to Damascus. And he had more evidence, more ability, but he still wasn't mature yet. He was still growing. Some commentators think that he spent, it was as long as many three years between those two verses. And so it takes time. It takes time to mature, doesn't it? It takes time to get over things. It can't, takes time to quit acting in childish ways about certain things or to accept certain doctrines in Scripture. It takes time. It's okay that it takes time, but the reality is grow, change. Don't stay the same. Don't make it any longer than it has to be. Right? Don't. And then we come back to Galatians. And Galatians says this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. 
and I stayed with him 15 days. That was all. And I saw no other apostles, only James, the, brother, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. Do you notice that's at the end of our passage here when the believers say they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. See, that's when he left and he went to Tarsus. And he went back home because they said, look it, you need to do that. We feel the Lord wants you to do that and there's no better place to learn how to humbly walk with the Lord than to go back home. You ever feel like you ever had to be set back home? Sometimes we have to go back home to learn to walk with the Lord. And then it goes on, and then he says that after, and then it goes on, he says, he was sent off to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea at that time in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Then after 14 years, think of that, 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem, and this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus also. See, that's when he finally came back. Finally came back. To meet the disciples after 14 years. Wow. It takes time to grow in Jesus. How long have you been trying to fulfill your call? How long have you been trying to follow God's call for your life? I, I want you not to be discouraged if it's been a long time, been over a decade or more, and you're still trying to figure it out. Paul had to figure it out. But I want you to know something, that God wanted to work on Paul's character. Because God cares about our character. God cares about our heart. God cares about us as a person. And he'll take whatever time is necessary to heal us, to get us right, to get us prepared and ready to do his will. But we want to, don't be discouraged by it, but let's not make it go longer than it needs to. Amen? Let's not be discouraged by it, but let's not let it go longer than it needs to. And remember this, zeal, again, is no substitute for wisdom. A passion of a new convert, a new Christian, is great. It's inspiring. It's exciting. Yet it's no substitute for a mature believer. No substitute. So praise God for that. So I want to encourage you, power to fulfill your calling comes over time. And then finally, we want to look at our last point. And I want you to see this, and, and I'll just give it to you. It takes submission, and takes submission to other believers to live a life worthy of your calling. It really does. I want you to notice, as you look back over Acts chapter 9, consider how many different believers were involved in Paul's conversion, and then Paul's fulfilling his calling. It took a lot of believers, didn't it? And it took Paul responding to believers' direction and guidance in his life. Being able to humbly accept correction. Being able to humbly accept teaching. To be able to humbly accept opportunities to serve. 
And, and Paul followed it. And even for Paul, this great man who had such a dramatic conversion experience, it sounds like it was 17 years before he walked in the power of his calling. 17 years. That seems like a long time. But it might have taken that long. So if it's taken that long for you, don't be discouraged. But also know that even though it's taken long, God has a call on your life. He's called you to take his yoke upon you and to learn from him. He's, he's given you specific gifts, specific opportunities, and a specific call. And he's asking you to walk in it so that you can find soul rest, but also live a life worthy of your calling and help others to live a life worthy of their calling too. Because if, as others see you going on with Jesus, you trusting Jesus, you being healed, you maturing, you doing what God has called you to do, it's going to inspire them to do the same. It would. Just think about that. If all of a sudden we had an outbreak of folks saying, man, I'm, I'm finally ready to surrender it all and I'm ready to, to, to move on with Jesus and I'm ready to tell others that I'm ready to do that and I'm ready to receive the accountability and encouragement that I need, because we need both sides of it, what would that do? It'd be awesome, and it would encourage others to do the same. And then what would happen if people began to step into their ministry and say, I'm going to serve. I've said no, no, no to the Lord. Now I'm going to say yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to submit to him. And I'm going to submit to others in my life, and I'm going to do what I've been called to do. How blessed would we be as a church if we walked in our calling? So I'm here to tell you, the, the world will say, nah, don't do that. Don't serve the Lord. Don't follow the Lord. Don't surrender your life completely to the Lord because now you won't be able to do anything fun. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Life is in surrender to Jesus. He's come to bring us life and life more abundantly. More abundant life is waiting for you and me. But there's a whole other part of the conversion experience we've got to live in. We've come to Jesus, now we've got to take on that yoke and walk with him and serve him. And Paul did that, and as you go through Acts 9, you can see kind of how things transpired for him and how he kind of went off the scene. And you won't find him, he won't pick back up until further into this book again because he's, he's, learning, he's learning to walk with Jesus. He's learning to be disciplined. He's learning to be humble. And I love the fact that the same person who had people want to kill him all the time, he writes in more than one of his letters, but he writes to Timothy, the, the servant of God must not be quarrelsome. Is that not the pot calling the kettle black? I mean, come on. Paul, don't be quarrelsome. Be a peacemaker. Da, da, da. Well, that's an older Paul. That's a transformed Paul. That's a Paul that's been walking in the yoke of Jesus and now has a ministry that's worth following. So he, you don't get his writings until he's walked with the Lord a lot of years. And then you get his wisdom. Amen. Same for you and me. I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. I know that many of you may have noticed that a number of people are, are getting up and down and all around. And uh, I know that that's caught my attention as well. And so we're going to pray over that in addition to just asking the Lord to uh, lead and to guide us. We're not going to chase our call. We're going to chase the God who calls us.
We are. We're not going to chase our call. We're going to chase the God who calls us. Amen. And we're going to finish the race that God has called us to finish. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just give you praise this morning. We thank you for your word, and we pray that this word would go deeper into our hearts as we look again at it later today, tomorrow, this next week. Lord, free us. Show us, God, that you just need us to make ourselves available. You just need us to humbly submit to your will and your yoke and to follow, and you'll do all the rest. God, we're so blessed and we praise you that you were so willing and gracious and kind to do all the rest. Lord, we want to follow and not fight the yoke. We want to follow and not fight you. We want to get up and we want to walk with you and not sit down. So Lord, encourage our hearts today and help us to see that it really is that simple. And yet we'll have to grow and we'll have to trust you to grow us. And we'll have to trust our brothers and sisters to help us and to to guide us, encourage us, and even to keep us accountability, accountable at times. So God, give us an open, willing heart to do that, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for the example of Paul. And we want to follow the Lord as he did. And we want to take your yoke upon you because we know that you're gentle and humble of heart. And we want to find rest for our souls. And we want to lead others to rest too. So Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your blessing. We pray that whatever is happening in our facility, that you would just pour out your grace and and bless um, and heal and move in a powerful way. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. So thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. Amen. Amen. Before you leave today...